तत्कजीवनम् कविभिरीतम् कल्मशापहम् श्रवणमंगलम् श्रीमदातम् भूविग्रन्ति ये So as in the last class we were discussing that Sri Ramakrishna was what uh, he was saying about the the six the enemies in the form of Kama, Krodha, Loha, Moha, Mother, Matsarya. So, so one may enter the world after attaining discrimination and dispassion. In the ocean of the world, there are six alligators, lust, anger, and so on. So these six alligators, the six enemies are karma, which means the lust, krodha, anger, lobha, greed, moha, infatuation, mother is pride, and matsari is envy. So this actually follows one after the other the desire, the karma. This results in anger. If the desire, the lust gets obstructed, is there's a hindrance on the way to attain my desire, that results in rage, anger, as krodha. And if there is the free play in attainment of our desire, there's no obstruction, then I will find that the lust is such a thing, it never gets satiated. As in our scripture, the lust has been compared with fire, anala. The word anala is something very interesting. In Sanskrit, alam pratyay is used to indicate enough, satiation. When I say alam means enough. And when anpratya is used before al, alam, an is used in the sense of negation. So it means that which is never satiated. The fire is never satiated. If you go on pouring oblations, it will just flare up. It never gets satiated. It's just like the desires, the lust. The more you try to fulfill the desires, the more you will find it has become unsatiable the more you want it. That najata, uh, that in that in Bhagavatam there is a slope, najata, kama, kamanam, upabhogena samyat, havisha krishna vartmeva, bhuya eva abhivardhate. Najatu kama, the desire, 
can never be fulfilled by enjoying it. Najatu kama kama naam upabhogena. Upabhoga means to enjoy. Havisha Krishna Vartnayi. Just like oblation, like Havisha. Havi is the oblation which is offered to the fire. Krishna Vartnayi. In the fire. Bhuya eva vivartnayi. It goes on increasing. So greed actually speaks of the unobstructed desire. When the desire gets obstructed, when the lust gets obstructed, it finds expression as rage, as anger. And when it is not obstructed, there's a free play for it. It gets converted into greed. You want more and more and more. There is no satiation for that. And when the thing on for which you have greed, for which you have lust, for that you will find a moha is developing. Moha is infatuation. Your intellect gets clouded. For the time being, you think it's all good. Whether it is food, the food which I will find is tasty, most of the food is not good for me. But when I have developed the greed for it, all the negative factors, that the food which is going to harm me, that gets clouded. I immediately feel that that Yes, I have to satiate my desire by resorting to such and such food. So we go on, out of greed, we go on overdoing it. So that speaks of infatuation. Your mind is getting clouded. Even in relations, the same thing happens. When one falls in love, everything appears to be good. The loved one appears to be just like angel. All the negativities gets clouded. It takes time. It's only after some time when they start spending the life together, then the negativities start reflecting in our life. So moha speaks of infatuation, which results from greed. Whenever you are greedy for something, you find it's all good. The negative thing all gets simply clouded, shadowed. So that speaks of moha. And when I have resort to my objects of desire, I can fulfill them. That gives me a sense of pride. Oh, others, I have won the rat race. Others cannot resort to it. I can resort to it. That gives a sense of false pride. And if I cannot resort to it, first, it finds, finds experience as anger. And even if I find that with my anger, I can do nothing. With my anger, I can do nothing. I am cornered. I am overpowered. The laws of the Society is such that I cannot, that though I am angry, angry with someone, I have to restrain myself. And then we find that the anger finds expression as envy, Mahatsavi. And I cannot do anything to that person. I cannot harm, even if I'm angry. So now, just simply like, it's like the inner rust, you're rusting within. It comes in the form of envy. So everything as such, the root cause is the, the desire, the karma. From the karma comes krodha, from krodha, the lobha, from that the moha, mother, matsari. So these six enemies. And what is the cause of desire? That's ignorance. I take the thing which is not going to be permanently with me, which is just a mere flow, any form of objects of desire, whether it is relation, whether it is wealth, whether it is position in life. 
it's not going to stay with me. But somehow, because of ignorance, I take them to be something permanent. So this ignorance has to be removed by discrimination, that what is real, what is unreal. And when the discrimination is strong, the dispassion naturally follows. That if all these things are just a matter of two days, as in a Buddhist tradition, in not only Buddhist tradition, in, or in, or even in Christian tradition, in all the traditions we find, this idea is there. But think of death. We may say the thinking of death is pessimistic. No. The moment I think of death, envy is bound to fall off. But if, my, if I know that I'm going to die within two hours, three hours, shall I have any envy for others? Shall I have any desire? All those things are bound to fall off as we take life to, to be something permanent for granted. Even for a 95 year old person, if you ask that, do you want to leave? He will say, no, my life is almost over. The next question, if you ask him, are you going to die now? He will say, maybe not. Maybe some few more years are still there. No one feels that way, that his death is just lurking. It is just there. Anytime you can be overcome by death. We never feel that. We take somehow this life to be as if it will be going on. And as we are not aware of it as the flow, that's the, that's the first ignorance. Because of that, all the six enemies prevail over me. The desire comes, the rage comes, the greed comes, infatuation, pride, envy. All those things comes one after the other. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna, how nicely is saying, one may enter into the world after attaining discrimination and dispassion. But always the discrimination. That Swami Vivekananda in Velurmat, when he was instructing the novices, the new brahmacharis, those who want aspire to be sannyasins, they have just joined. He asked them, do you know what is sannyasin? So they were all quiet. They were just expecting Swami Vivekananda himself to answer. And after some time, Swami Vivekananda's answer was very cryptic. The sannyasi is the one who loves death. And the very next moment he cleared, that doesn't mean that he will commit suicide. He knows for certain that death is inevitable and lives the life accordingly. The moment, if you really feel that within this, I have only a few more days, can there be any desire? Can there be any envy? They're bound to fall off. So if life is a flow, if something behind that is something permanent, why not aspire to be identified with that and not to be too much involved with the flow? That okay, the flow is going on as a part, as I am placed in this situation of life, I carry on with my responsibilities. I carry on with all my duties, but with a sense of dispassion, with that discrimination always in my mind. So that's why he's saying that you have to smear yourself with the turmeric of discrimination and dispassion. That there is that idea, that the, the, the notion which is prevailing, that if you smear yourself with turmeric, and then you go for a dip into the river, 
the alligators are somehow repelled by the turmeric. They won't come near you. So the song which Sri Ramakrishna sang previously in that, the idea was that, that smear yourself with the turmeric of discrimination and dispassion. And then these six alligators cannot come near you. And that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is explaining what he has sang, that one may enter the world after attaining discrimination and dispassion. In the ocean of the world, there are six alligators, lust, anger, and so on. But you need not fear the alligators if you smear your body with turmeric before you go into the water. Discrimination and dispassion are the turmeric. Discrimination is the knowledge of what is real and what is unreal. It is a realization that God alone is real and eternal and that all else is unreal, transitory, impermanent. And you must cultivate intense zeal for God. You must feel love for him and be attracted towards him. The gopis of Vrindavan felt the attraction of Krishna. So then after giving the example of the gopis, Sri Ramakrishna will now sing a song which exemplifies the love the gopis had, especially Radha had towards Krishna. It's a song which Radha is singing. So what's the song? Let me sing you a song, Sri Ramakrishna says. And the translation of the song in the gospel goes like this. Listen, the flute has sounded in yonder wood. There I must fly, for Krishna waits on the path. Tell me, friends, will you come along or no? To you, my Krishna is merely an empty name. To me, he is the anguish of my heart. You hear his flute only with your ears. But oh, I hear them in my deepest soul. I hear his flute calling Radha, come out. Without you, the grove is shown of its loveliness. So everything appears to be empty. So this is the viraha, the tremendous anguish because of the separation from the beloved. That's the one which this song speaks of. The eternal call of the divine is being indicated by the flute of Krishna. Krishna's flute is always playing. We cannot hear because we are distracted with the trivials of this life. The Krishna's flute is always playing. He is the one who is always calling us. But we, even if we somehow feel attracted towards the religion, we will find that sometimes it is just, as Swami Vivekananda used to say, that for most of us, spirit, spirituality is just a hobby. It is like just an antique among many collections. I have so I have the uh, this the habit of collecting various antiques. Among those various antiques, spirituality is just one of the antiques. It's just a hobby. It's not the anguish of my heart. So that's why Radha is saying it is merely an empty name. But even in the scriptures, they say that unless God becomes your only passion. 
because God is the jealous God. Even in Bible, it is mentioned. He's extremely jealous. That when you love someone and you know that you're the one whom you love loves someone else, the way you feel jealous. Why? That your beloved's love toward you is as if being shared. So they say God is the most jealous. He never likes that the love for him will be shared by someone else. Unless we can ensure that we love God and God alone. As in our Upanishads, it is being mentioned, Anya Vacha Vimunchata. Forget everything else. We want, have one pointed devotion towards the divine. And that's being indicated in this song that, but oh, I hear them in my deepest soul. I hear his flute calling Radha, Radha come out. Come out from this grove of worldliness. That's what the God is eternally calling. Without you, the grove is shown of its loveliness. God is eternally waiting for us to turn back so that he can enjoy. It is he who enjoys the communion. For that he is eternally waiting. That we turn around and then he will come running, run, running to embrace us. So for that God is waiting. So that's, that's what Krishna is as if calling that Radha come out. That without you the grove has been shown of its loveliness. Now, the master sang the song with tears in his eyes and said to Keshav and other Brahmo devotees, this line is very, very significant. Whether you accept Radha and Krishna or not, please do accept their attraction for each other. Try to create that same yearning in your heart for God. Yearning is all you need in order to realize him. Now, whether you accept Radha and Krishna or not. Now, we know that as for the scriptures are concerned, many try to find out the history behind it. This, whether it has really happened or not. Even with the Bhagavatam, where the episode of Radha and Krishna is mentioned in the 10th skanda, in the 10th volume of Bhagavatam, of the 12th, 12th volume, in the 10th volume, is, depicts the Krishna's life. There we, we come across this Krishna's Leela in Vrindavan, divine sport in Vrindavan, with the gopis, with Radha. But very interesting <clears throat> that in the, in the entire Vaishnava scriptures, we, we, in, the, in the Vaishnava literature, we have we find the mention of Radha and Krishna. But the core scripture from where the other scriptures has derived is the Bhagavatam. That's the core scripture. There is no mention of Radha. Very interesting. There's no mention of Radha. In one sloka, in only one sloka, what that sloka says? Anaya Radhita Noonang Bhagavan Hari Rishwara Yenno Vihaya Govinda Prito Yam Anayat Raha. So, what actually speaks? Anaya Radhita Noonam. So, a particular gopi who was perf perf 
who has perfectly worshipped the all-powerful God. Anayo Aradhita means Aradhana. He has done Aradhana, Aradhito, Anaya, a special way with full intensity. Krishna left all other gopis and with her, her and her alone went into the deep forest. So that's the thing that here in that sloka, that word Anaya Aradhita is there. From there, the later Vaishnava scriptures have spoken that the one with whom Krishna went into the grove, leaving all other, as she had a special devotion for Krishna, that from the word Aradhana, the word Radha came. But the word name Radha as such is not there in Bhagavatam. There are a lot of interpretations to say that actually it is Radha, whatever it is. And now the question comes whether this Radha character, the name Radha, that character is historical because we don't find the name mentioned in the scriptures. So Ramakrishna, because this is the thing which with which a lot of arguments were going on in the society. So Ramakrishna, what is saying something interesting? that whether you accept Radha and Krishna or not, please do accept their attraction for each other. So whether that word, that character Radha, the name Radha, that character which has been spoken of as the one who has a special devotion for Krishna, that character's name is really Radha or not, we don't know. But there was one who had really an intense devotion for Krishna. That's of course mentioned in Bhagavatam. Whether her real name is Radha or not, forget about that. So let us forget about the authenticity of that name, of that character. But that intense devotion which has been spoken of, that alone has to be considered because that's what it speaks of. The one among all the gopis who had that special devotion for Krishna, Krishna left all just and took her. To, with her, he went into the grove as if she is her real companion. So that speaks of the criteria in our spiritual journey. That unless we have that intense devotion, where our devotion becomes one pointed, everything falls off, the yearning becomes intense, then only God, the jealous God, who, as we were saying, who never wants who never likes that the love for him be shared. When he finds that special intense yearning is there, then only he will accept us. He will come and embrace us. Then only that union, communion with the divine is possible. So that's what is being indicated here. Said what? Whether you accept Radha and Krishna or not, please do accept their attraction for each other. Try to create that same yearning in your heart for God. Yearning is all you need in order to realize him. So as we always say that all these divine personalities are like the framework that is chiseled with the intensity of yearning in the wall of ego. That psychologically, how to understand that we can have communion with the divine when we intensely yearn for some, something, what happens? Our mind becomes so focused, everything else falls off. All the distractions falls off. 
we find that when we are focused to certain thing, the distractions falls off. Not only that, if we are really passionate about something, if I'm passionate about the painting which I am doing, or some artwork, or the thing which I like I'm doing, I will find that first all the distractions falls off and then even my bodily feelings in the form of hunger, thirst, they fall off. But the thing which we have not realized is that if that intensity is, is really still more intense, a time comes when the ego, a small part of the mind is always required to keep my ego intact, that I am this psychophysical entity that falls off. And then you become one with the object of meditation. That in the scripture has been spoken of as samadhi, where dhyana, dhyata, dhyaya becomes one. Dhyana, the meditation, process of meditation. The one who is meditating, dhyata, the object of meditation, dhyaya, they become one. This triad falls off, this collapses. It as if has created a hole in the wall of ego. And now you peep through that wall. Previously it was not visible. Now you see that infinite expanse. Suppose there is a wall and you don't know what is behind the wall and you make a hole and through that hole you see it is infinite expanse. And now if I make the hole a circular, I will have an idea that that infinite expanse is something circular. If it is rectangular, then it is rectangular. So because that's the framework through which I am looking at. So all these forms of divinities, the one who believes in Krishna, the form of Krishna, one who believes in Rama, the form of Rama, one who believes in Jesus, or those who believe in the formless aspect of God, but the idea of the divinity, that is the thing which we are chiseling in the wall of ego. When the chiseling is complete, we create as if a hole in the wall of ego, where the framework is all those divine concepts through which we commune with the infinite, with our with that non-dual consciousness, which is our reality, is the ego, which doesn't allow us to be identified with that. The ego falls off for the time being, and we can relate to that. So that's why this intense yearning is the only way which can lead to that mystic realization. Without that intensity, it can never happen. So that's the thing Mr. Ramakrishna is indicating. Gradually, the ape tide set in. The steamboat was speeding towards Calcutta. It paused under the Howrah Bridge and came within sight of the botanical garden. This Howrah Bridge, of course, is not the present Howrah Bridge. Uh, Sri Ramakrishna, uh, when he was alive, that present Howrah Bridge was not constructed. It was uh, a different bridge, which was uh, made with a lot of floating boats in such a way that even some other boats and small ships can pass beneath it. So it was that Howrah Bridge, which Sri Ramakrishna, which this gospel is speaking of. So it passed under the Howrah Bridge and came within sight of the botanical garden. The captain was asked to go a little farther down the river. The passengers were enchanted with the master's word and most of them had no idea of time or how far they had come. Keshav began to serve some puffed rice and grated coconut. The guests held this in the folds of their wearing clothes 
and presently started to eat. Everyone was joyful. The master noticed, however, that Keshab and Vijay rather shrank from each other and he was anxious to reconcile them. Master to Keshab, look here, there is Vijay. Your quarrel seems like the fight between Shiva and Rama. Shiva was Rama's guru, though they fought with each other, yet they soon came to the terms. So there, in, there's a nice story in one of the Puranas. It's not exactly uh, in, in Ramayana also it is mentioned that there was a fight between the Shiva and Rama. The story goes like that, that there was a king called Viramani and he was blessed by Shiva that he did a lot of austerity that whenever the need be, Shiva will be there to help him out. So when uh, that we all know that uh, Ramas did, did the Ashwamedha Yagya, where the horse, one horse is left out free. Someone will be behind him just to, uh, just to go behind the horse. All the kingdoms through which the horse goes will be passing. If the kings don't touch it, so it will be an accepted fact that the king, all the kings accept the supremacy of the king who has left free that horse. But if anyone captures that horse, means they will be challenging his supremacy and then there will be some, this battle, the fight will be there. So Ramad also did some Ashwamedha Yagya. And when it was passing through the various kingdom, no one touched it, but Viramani's son, he captured this Ashwamedha horse, this horse of Rama, and naturally the war ensued. And Viramani was naturally the Rama's soldiers were very strong. Rama himself never came for the battle. It was Shatrugna, who was the chief, army chief. And Viramani was losing the battle. So then at last to protect Viramani, as Shiva has given him the word, that whenever he is in crisis, he will come to the battlefield. He will come to help him. So at last Shiva came to rescue Viramani in the battlefield. And now Rama's soldiers were all scattered. They were uh, just retreating. Now at last Rama himself had to come to the battlefield to find Shiva, his own guru in front of him. So now Rama when uh, found his guru, first he just surrendered his weapons. He told, I cannot fight with my guru. Then Shiva told, so see, there is no way. I am also helpless. I have to fight with you because I have just given him words that whenever Viramani is in need, I will help him. So there is no way. I am in the battlefield. So I have to fight with you. So now, it is the helplessness of both Rama and Shiva which ensured that, that the battle ensued. And now Shiva is God, he's also all powerful. At last Rama exhausted all his weapons, but in no way he could uh, overcome or win over Shiva. But the last, the last resort was he as a boon from Shiva got the Pashupata Astra. That was 
given by Shiva. That is extremely powerful. It has the power to just destroy the entire creation. Rama at last finding no other way when he has exhausted all his weapon, he discharged the Pashupatastra which he has got from Shiva on Shiva. It was granted by Shiva himself. And now this Pashupatastra which was granted by Shiva, it couldn't harm Shiva, it just merged in Shiva. But in the meantime, Shiva was highly pleased by Rama's skills. After all, he's this, uh, that Rama, this, he also has tremendous devotion for Rama. They both had this mutual devotion for each other. So at last, Shiva was highly pleased by the Rama's skill and he asked for boon. And now Rama prayed for the revival of the entire army which Shiva granted. That the entire army with those who were killed, Bharat's son was killed. They were all revived back. And then Rama and Shiva just came to reconciliation. So that's the story. But what Sri Ramakrishna is saying here, that though they fought with each other, yet they soon came to terms. But the grimaces of the ghosts, the followers of Shiva, and the giverish of the monkeys, the followers of Rama, would not come to an end. Now, if you see the monkey, it is always restless. Just it will turn around, eat its back on the left side, again turn around, reach its left on the back, right, scratch its head, as if someone is constantly disturbing it. So it's jokingly the people say that some ghost must be there, which is constantly disturbing them, this, the monkeys. Otherwise, why they are so much restless, constantly itching their body, constantly scratching their head, they will find that whenever the monkeys are sitting, they're never quiet. So as if the fight is still going on between the ghost and the monkeys, the monkeys are the army of Rama and the ghosts are the army of the Shiva. So ghosts, the invisible ghosts, they're not seen, but the behavior of the monkeys shows that as if still they're disturbing them and the fight is still going on. So here what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating just as a fun, he's saying, that sometimes we find that the spiritual leaders do differ. But when they really go to the realization, that though we may start with the differences, because we have our own beliefs with that, these beliefs, when I, as long as we are having certain belief system, that difference is bound to be there. But through the belief, that belief itself is blind, but the belief can be the eye opener. Though itself is blind, it can be the eye opener. It can take you to the realization. Once you go to the realization, all the mystics speak in the same language. So the so-called spiritual leaders, though they may apparently appear to be differing, but when they go to the realization, there is no difference. But their followers who are just mere believers, for them the, this bickering, this fight, goes on. So this is the idea what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that look there that your quarrel seems like the fight between Shiva and Rama. Shiva was Rama's guru though they fought with each other yet they soon came to terms. So Shiva and Rama indicates in spiritual life the illumined soul, the illuminaries who though initially started with some belief system has went to the realization. But their disciples, for them, the fight never stops. They go on. 
So, but the grimaces of the ghosts and the followers of Shiva and the gibberish of the monkeys, the followers of Rama would not come to an end. So that example which we always give, that the one who has tested mango, he will be uh, having the same notion about the taste of mango with all those who have tested mango. But if he speaks about the taste of mango with to others who have not tested the mango, they may all feel that we have understood, but they will all have their own belief system. They will try to relate his words with their available forms of experience, and you will find that the way they have understood is all. Some may say that mango is as sweet as molasses. Some may say, no, it is like honey. Because none of them have, them have tested. They're just trying to relate their words with their available fund of experience. And that's how they will be, there's bound to be disharmony, dissension, difference in the belief. But once you go to the realization, then there's no question of any such difference of opinion. So that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna indicated. Such quarrels take place even among one's own Keith and kin. Didn't Rama fight with his own sons, Lava and Kusha? Again, you must have noticed how a mother and daughter living together and having the same spiritual end in view, observe their religious past separately on Tuesdays, each on her own account, as if the welfare of the mother were different from the welfare of the daughter. But what benefits one but what benefits the one benefits the other. It is like you have a religious society and Vijay thinks he must have one too. But I think all these are necessary. That these various religious, uh, what you say, these uh, differences, which uh, uh, because of the differences, various denominations, they are necessary. Why? Because we are not of the same temperament. Each and every human being is different. So there should be, as Swami Vivekananda once indicated, that, there, that I will be the happiest person when the number of sects equals to the number, the total, there's number of human beings. Each and every one should have his own way of belief because we, not a single human being, is in, 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 uh, in any way just same to others. We all are unique. We all, even uh, though we may profess that we are all believing the same religion, we just go and discuss with them that what you feel that about your religion. You will find he has his own set of beliefs. He has his own way of understanding the truth. Even after the same lecture, people go out and you ask, discuss, you will find all have understood in their own way. We can never be all having the same system of belief. So as per our temperament, it is all okay that when we are believing, let as per my temperament, as per my samskaras, let me have my own philosophy. But that at last should take you to the realization where there is no difference. So to have various uh, denominations is okay because more and more human being can find the path which is suitable for him the more just the way we always prefer the restaurant which has a varied menu if any restaurant has only just two or three menu 
Would you ever prefer? No, because we all have our own test. We go, the more the, this, this, uh, we have the varied menu, the more we can choose. So similarly in religion, the more the sects, the more the denominations, the good, the more the good, because <clears throat> people have the, as per the temperament, the capacity to choose. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, the same dish, if the mother cooks fish for five children, for some, she will be preparing the fish pulao, for some, a very, some fish soup, for some fish fry, as per the test. She knows very well, the same fish is going to nourish them all, but as per the test, she's preferring, uh, preparing it in five different ways. So similarly, all these sects are okay. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna is saying, saying that it is good to have that uh, these various sects, the Vijay thinks that he must have one too, but I think all these are necessary. While Sri Krishna himself, God incarnate, played with the gopis at Vrindavan, troublemakers like Jatila and Kutila appeared on the scene. Now, if God himself is willing to have communion with the devotees, why? And if everything is happening as per God's plan, how come they should become characters who can come and really obstruct the communion which the God wills? So we find in the Bhagavatam, these characters, Jatila and Kutila are mentioned, who are always there as a troublemakers. So if God is doing all, why he has kept these troublemakers? Because the more the obstruction, the more the yearning. So these are the, these words are something very, very significant that we say that we have so much faith in God. Why God has given so much of trouble for me in my life. I find that those who don't believe in God, they're quite happy with my all belief. I find so much problem in life. That's the Jatila Kutila. If you have a little yearning, God wants to flare up that yearning. And that is possible only when there are some troublemakers. In gym, when I go, this world is not a pleasure garden. It is a gym where we have came to make ourselves strong. When in gym, when I go, if I am just flexing my muscles, if I am just exercising with some weight, against some weight, after a few days, I find that weight is not sufficient. I can easily work on it. What will I do? I will go for some, uh, some more weight. The previous weight becomes lighter. I will go for more weight. So that now I can build up strength more. So similarly in spiritual life, in our life, the more we develop the devotion towards God, you'll find the more obstruction is coming. The Jatila and Kutila must be there so that our yearning develops, gets more intensified. So the weight is increased. You intensify your yearning more and more so that at last it will lead to the realization. So we have to take them in a positive sense. We shouldn't use God as a means for the worldly end. That in world, in this life, we want peace, happiness, prosperity. For their God is the means. He should, I should pray to him and he will provide me. If that was the fact, then world would have been our final destination. But that can never be. God is the not the means. God is the end. World can be the means. I can live a dispassionate life in this world to attain God. So real spirituality is just the opposite. 
where world is the means, God is the end. And the so-called religion which we believe in, where God is the means, world is the end, it is sheer materialism. So if we are really spiritual, all those difficulties is supposed to flare up our yearning. The more the difficulty, the more we yearn to be unified with God. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating here. That, you see, it is a plan of the divine that he himself has kept those troublemakers. That when Sri Krishna himself, God incarnate, played with the gopis at Vrindavan, troublemakers like Jatila and Kutila appeared on the scene. You may ask why? The answer is that the play does not develop without the troublemakers. The play, there cannot be any play, there is no troublemaker. You cannot play any game unless there is some opponent. Can you think of a football match or cricket match without the opponent? The play becomes enjoyable if there is an opponent. Then only all the skills will manifest. The more and more the skills will manifest, the more and more the yearning will manifest. And that's why the answer is that the play does not develop. There cannot be any play without the troublemakers. All love. There is no fun without Jatila and Kutina. In Bengali, there's sometimes in translation, we lose the sense. Sri Ramakrishna uses very colloquial Bengali when he's speaking all those words that Lila Pushtai Hoyana. Lila Pushtai means the Lila Pushti. Pushtai is a colloquial form of Pushti. The Pushti is a Sanskrit word. Pushti means nourishment. The Lila, the divine play doesn't get, cannot get nourished, Lila Pushtai, without this Jatila and Kurira. And then the word he uses is really slang, Rogor Hoyana. That, that has been touched as fun. So Rogor is something, a very colloquial way of saying that you cannot have the real fun. So Lila Pushtai Hoyana, Rogor Hoyana, that's the words of Ramakrishna. Very, very colloquial language. And that's why that loud laughter is there. So in translation, we will find that what's there to love about it. So because in translation, you really lose uh, the real effect of it. In the colloquial Bengali, there's words which are using, that's the thing for which that loud laughter is there. That Jyotili Kutil Nathakle Lila Pushtai Hoyana Rogor Hoyana. So there is no fun without Jatila and Kutila. So, so that's the idea that this world is not a pleasure garden. It's a gymnasium where this Jatila and Kutila like the weights against which we have to work on to really develop the spiritual strength, that yearning, the real yearning can come only through those obstructions. And that at last can ensure our communion with the divine. In, in a colloquial Bengali, there are some, you know, some couplets which are very interesting. They say, Jay Kore Amar Ash, the one who desires me, who desire me, Ash, the one who tries, one who is trying to be one with me, the one who desires me, Ash means Asha. So one who desires me, Ami Koritar Shorbonash. I first, when he, anyone is desiring for me, I will be just uh, trying, as if trying to destroy him. And still, when everything is gone, but still he tries to hold on to me. Then I become the servant of his servant. 
So if you desire God, first it will come. You read the life of Jesus, Buddha. When they were yearning for God, first the devil comes, the evil comes. They try to lure him, tempt him. Mara comes to Buddha. Everywhere we find the same thing. And still when they can be so strong to ignore them and then only the God reveals to them. In all the religion you will find, that's the thing which is mentioned. And Jesus is trying to have divine communion. First, you find the Satan is coming to lure him. The same thing in Buddhism also we find. In all the religions, this is the idea. At first, why it happens? Because when I'm trying to really uh, focus my life, uh, focus to the path of the divine, this first, the mind, which is full of this samskaras, they first run havoc. They all will be popping up in my mind. I have to have that patience. They have to be cleansed off so that the sarvarthata gets converted into ekagrata, that one-pointedness. So at the beginning, we are all bound to go through that stage of cleansing. We have to be patient that time. In Christianity, it is meant, it is called the dark night of the soul. We all have to go through this dark night before we see the light. So those dark night is something which is obvious. It's the process of cleansing where the all the negativities which we think is outside is not actually outside, it is within me, which has to be gradually cleansed off to at last go to that realization. So that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that all these obstructions are necessary because it increases our yearning and that yearning at last will take us to that ultimate realization. Ramanuja upheld the doctrine of qualified non-dualism, but his guru was a pure non-dualist. They disagreed with each other and refuted each other's arguments. That always happens. Still, to the teacher, the disciple is his own. So from the various angle, Sri Ramakrishna is speaking that the difference can be there, but that in no way should uh, speak of quarrel and fight. That let us let the difference be there, but at last it should take to the reconciliation, realization, reconciliation. So even uh, there can be the by saying that Ramanuja's teacher and Ramanuja disagreed. What he's saying that when we go to the teacher, it may so happen that because of our lack of proper understanding, there may be the difference of opinion. But as we start progressing in spiritual life, we will find that all those differences are falling off. They're falling off. So that's why the word Sraddha has a very significance. What Sraddha means? Faith in the words of Guru, faith in the words of the scriptures. What it speaks of? That when I go to the Guru, at the beginning, his words may be something baffling for me. Because I am yet to reach the state realization from which he is speaking. So the differences can be there. But let me have faith and try to, that's where 
but to say that go on cogitating upon the truths which has been spoken of. Manana, that is as is spoken of manana. First comes Ravana, you hear, and then comes manana. You cogitate. Gradually, all the so-called uh, the misconceptions will start falling off. And then you can realize the words of the Guru in its true significance. Then you will have some intellectual conviction. Oh yes, what he has told is correct. And then the Nididhyasana starts. The process of meditation on your, this Nididhyasana is meditation on your conviction. First the conviction itself was not there. But I didn't challenge the words which the Guru has said by saying it is all of nonsense, not that. Let me have faith. Let me go on cogitating upon it. A time will come when my misconceptions will fall off. And then I can relate to the words and then the real spiritual journey, the Nididhyasana start. It's meditating on the words of the, your intellectual conviction. So, and again, it always doesn't entail, in, the, in this specific example, uh, Ramanuja Charya actually created, in, not created, uh, this the Vishishta Dvaita, that to which he was, uh, he was adhering to, was different from his guru. His guru was a non-dualist, but he we will find that Ramanuja was Vishishta Dvaita. So here also another important thing, that though we differ, but still we can accept the fact that he is also uh, speaking the truth. He is also true. I am also true. How? In Sanskrit, we generally loosely translate the word darshana as philosophy. But darshana actually means perspective. If I just translate it as philosophy, it makes no sense. Darshana, to see, it means perspective. With a simple example, we will try to understand. Just take your own house. Your, you take a photograph of your house from the east, and you take another photograph from the west, then take another from the north, from the south. Four photographs. Will they all be same? No. They all will be different. They won't be the same. The photo which you have taken from the top uh, from the uh, front which you're taking from the back from the side all will be different but is it the, your house it's the same house the, well, the why this difference it is a perspective from which angle i'm seeing it that makes the difference similarly in india when the, this all these philosophical thoughts were developing they started saying that all these various opinions are darshanas. Darshana means perspective, that you are true, I am also true. From the perspective from which you are seeing, what you are saying is correct. From the perspective from which I am seeing, I am also correct. There is a very nice sloka, which, uh, which we 